Well, good morning. It's Easter morning, and I'm glad that you're here, a part of our service this morning. Uh, Easter morning is the, the biggest day on the church calendar, the most important day in the life of a believer uh, is Easter. And a lot of what transpires in the Easter story and the lead-up to the Easter story takes place in, in a garden and in different gardens. Uh, and there's an old hymn uh, called In the Garden. It was inspired, actually, by John chapter 20 and the miraculous events of the resurrection that took place there in a garden. The song was written by Austin Miles way back in 1912. And uh, it goes something like this. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear Falling on my ear The Son of God discloses And He walks with me And He talks with me And He tells me I am His own And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I like the next verse. It doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. But it says, He speaks and the sound of His voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. But then I like this last verse. It says, I'd stay in the garden with him though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. There's something about that last verse that I like. The thought that we would love to stay in the garden with him, but that would not be the most productive choice for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of those who need Jesus. So he bids me go through the voice of woe. There are Seasons of life, gardens, if you will. Some are peaceful and restful. Some can be places of unmeasurable beauty, like the Rose Garden in Duluth. Is, is there a more beautiful place on the face of the earth? And there are those seasons or, or gardens of life where everything seems to go well. Those times when it's all falling our way, when life is hitting on all cylinders, Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Those periods of time when it's all just working for us. Other gardens in our life, other places in our life are times of sorrow or heartache and loss. They're seasons of struggle. We all have them. You're not unique. Your pain is not unique though it's unique to you. In reality, it's common to man. It's a season. It's a garden in life. But when it comes to these gardens of life, 
There's a part of us that wants to live there. We want to camp there. Whether it be a garden of rest and comfort, or even the gardens of sorrow and disappointment, there's a strange part of us that wants to wallow in it. But he bids us go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. And there are some interesting gardens in Scripture that we move through. There are three gardens that relate directly to the Easter story. Three gardens, that's the title of today's message. And the first takes us back, way back, all the way to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. The first garden is the Garden of Sin. This is the garden where we made our fatal choice to disobey God and to do things our own way. He had warned us, like any good parent tries to spare their children the heartache and grief of sin and folly, but they seldom listen, at least it seems. I remember one of my kids saying, Dad, I guess I'm just one of those people that has to learn the hard way. And so it was in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Sin. Genesis 2.17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden before eating from the tree of knowledge. We don't get the impression it was very long. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it says in Genesis 3, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and it was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, the Bible says, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. It's a puzzling reaction, isn't it? To sew fig leaves and make a covering. But not when you realize what had just transpired. It was the end of innocence. And there in the underbrush of Eden's garden, Adam realized for the first time he was naked. His shame was revealed by his sin and he sought a covering. Adam, we must remember, was used to living without shame. Now he was consumed by it, and he became desperate to cleanse his conscience and desperate to hide his disgrace. Maybe you can relate. In a sense, Adam's effort to cover himself was the beginning of religion. There were no churches, there were no denominations, there were no formal doctrines or tenets of faith. But there in the garden of sin, religion was born. Religion is our own feeble effort to please God. Religion is a desperate attempt to reach God and somehow appease our own conscience. Adam's fig leaf was the beginning of religion. It would all manifest itself there in the garden of Eden, the garden of sin, when God came to summon Adam for their evening walk in Genesis 3, 8, 
And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden. This is our first garden, the garden of sin, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. We can relate to this, right? When we're in our garden of sin and God comes calling, what do we do? We hide. It's rooted in the human tendency to distance ourselves from those we disappoint. And when we are in sin, we distance ourselves from God. We hide from God. We stay away from church. We don't read our Bible. We avoid worship music. And we try not to think about God. That's what Adam did. And while Adam's attempt to cover himself was the beginning of religion, I believe Adam hiding from God was the beginning of atheism. It's a coping mechanism, really. It's how we deal with a life that's hard to feel good about. It's the way we deal with a conscience that wants to keep us up at night because we're out of sync with the will and the way of the one who created us. We have to convince ourselves that there is no God. We have to hide from the reality of a God who will hold us accountable for our actions. It all happened there in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Sin. It was the beginning of religion and it was the beginning of atheism. Two fruitless philosophies that somehow sprang up in the midst of the most fruitful garden in the history of the world. You can't make this stuff up. We gave birth to sin in the Garden of Eden. It was sin that led us to suffering, and the suffering is pictured in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36, then came Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful or full of sorrow. And he was very heavy. Verse 38 says, Then he said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Our graduates of Take 5, the Take 5 Deeper Discipleship course, will understand what the word watch means. Verse 39 says he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them asleep and he said unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, Jesus said that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Interesting that in the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of suffering, Jesus is wrestling with the reality of where he is on the timeline of his life. There's a struggle taking place in the heavenlies that he is very much aware of. The disciples, on the other hand, are fast asleep. They're not as connected with the spirit world as Jesus is. They dwell in the realm of the carnal. 
Jesus, however, is in tune with what is happening on the other side of the veil. This is more than a, than a prayer. This is more than a mealtime prayer or a, or a bedtime prayer or a please bless little Johnny prayer. This is a wrestling in the spirit. This is a time of travail and of a crying out to God. The Bible describes Jesus as being in agony in Luke twenty-two forty-four. It says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. This is more than the stuff of legend. This is not a fairy tale or, or just another dramatic story. This is what Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane, our second garden, the Garden of Suffering. My hunch is you've spent some time in the Garden of Suffering. And maybe that's where you are right now. Well, take some comfort in the fact that Jesus has been there too. In fact, his agony was so intense that he sweat great drops of blood. It's a medical condition known as hematidrosis. You can look it up. Doctors don't know exactly what triggers hematidrosis, in part because it's so rare. But they think it could be related to the body's fight-or-flight response. That would certainly apply here. Medically speaking, tiny blood vessels in the skin break open. The blood may get squeezed out through the sweat glands or, or the blood may collect and leak into the follicles and then onto the skin's surface. The bleeding usually stops on its own and it's not serious, although it can lead to dehydration. The best doctors can come up with is that it may be caused by extreme distress or fear, such as facing death, torture, or severe ongoing abuse. It's probably where the term sweating blood came from. Well, it all adds up. Jesus was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Suffering. It was never meant to be this way, you know. God did not cre create the world to initiate suffering. Suffering was never part of his plan. He was all about love and fellowship and community. But something changed way back in the Garden of Eden. Something changed in the Garden of Sin. And now we find ourselves in the Garden of Suffering. When Adam sinned, the world changed. The curse fell upon all of creation, men, women, the environment. In one moment, one fleeting moment, suffering was introduced into the world in which we live. Now sickness, pain, loss, and death would be part of our everyday existence. The hospitals are full. Obituaries contain new names every day. Marriages fail. Disease runs rampant. People mistreat each other. Family members are estranged. Greed has a hold on us. Lust burns within us. Our bodies are deteriorating. Our memories are fading. And by and large, pain is the result. And we suffer. Like Jesus in Matthew 26 and Luke 22, we're camped in the garden of suffering. 
It's a blight on society as a whole, but it trickles down to the individual. The the suffering of the whole is, is bad enough, but I'm hurting too. My family is hurting too, and that hits me right where I live. Beyond the the principle of suffering, it's all very personal. And we wonder why. Many ask, why? How could God allow this? But we can't find the answer to suffering in the garden of suffering. For that, we need to revisit the garden of sin. And there we discover it was never intended to be this way. We made our decisions in the garden of sin, and our decisions shaped our way of life in the garden of suffering. And now all of creation longs for the way it's meant to be. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Fallen creation is like a woman in labor. It's like the pangs of childbirth. Something just isn't right. And the whole child, I got to tell you, the whole childbirth process just seems impossible to me. The process of a woman bringing forth a child defies logic and violates all the laws of physics. It's almost unnatural. And the body of the woman longs for the process to be over. She longs for the pain to be done and the gestation period to have run its course. And we long for things to be right again. We long for things to be as they were designed to be and and meant to be. We long to be out of the garden of suffering. That's certainly where Jesus was. He was in agony. He was in travail. And the burden that rested upon him was immense. The weight of the world was literally upon his shoulders. We don't often... Think of it in these terms, but the reality was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, there in the Garden of Suffering, he held the redemption of the human race in his hands. That brings us to the third garden. It's the Garden of Joseph of Arimathea. And it literally is a garden. I never thought about it like this, but but listen as I read John 19, beginning in verse 38. And after this, it says, after the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, fascinating verse, he besought Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and he took the body of Jesus. And there came with him Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, reference back to John chapter 3. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. They took the body of Jesus, they wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Verse 41. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was... A garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, a tomb or a grave, wherein was never a man yet laid. 
There they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher was near. Jesus was buried in a garden. This would be the garden of salvation. This would be the garden of new beginnings. Out of the sin and out of the suffering would arise hope. Out of the rebellion and out of the pain there would arise life. You can't have morning without night. You can't have dawn without dusk. You will never appreciate spring without a long, cold winter. You can't appreciate grace without law. And hope never feels so good as it does on the heels of despair. As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Matthew 28 says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment, his clothes were as white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen. Did you hear me, church? He is not here. He is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell the disciples, He is risen from the dead. And behold, He goes before you into Galilee, and there you will see Him. I have told you. And they departed quickly, the Bible says, from the sepulcher with fear and with great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. They they ran. I like that. Three gardens. The first, you remember, was the Garden of Eden. It was the place where sin found its way into our hearts. That led to the pain of an existence apart from God and is pictured in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus wrestles with his fate. It's like a mother suffering the pain and the pangs of childbirth. The final garden is where the body of our Savior lay from the crucifixion to the resurrection. Then the earth brought him forth in the power of God the Father. I'm going to read from John 16, just three verses, beginning in verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you will weep and lament. Did you catch that? You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow, the Bible says, shall be turned to joy. And that's what Easter is all about. A woman, the Bible says in in verse 21 of John 16, a woman when she is in travail has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a child is born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, Jesus says, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man will take from you. Sin was defeated. Death was defeated. And now because he lives, we can live also. It's the garden of salvation. And there is no more beautiful garden 
on the face of all the earth. It's where we can be saved. It's where we can be filled with hope in a, in a world devoid of hope. It's where we can be filled with joy in a world absent of joy. It's where we can find meaning in a life most people live without purpose. And it's all because of Jesus. We started in the garden of sin. We found our way to the garden of suffering. Then Jesus came and opened the door to the garden of salvation where we could receive atonement, the remedy for our sin. And when we come to that place, the garden of salvation, we find the distance between us and God dissipates. Suddenly we can collapse into his loving arms and the burdens of, of life roll away. The burdens of sin roll away. And oh, how I want that for you. You can go from sin to suffering to salvation. Three gardens right here, right now. The answer you're looking for is not religion. Adam tried to cover himself. It wasn't enough. And your answer is not to run from God. He, he tried that too. Your answer is to turn to him. Your answer is to throw yourself on his mercy, to confess your sin and to repent. To repent means to, to turn from your sin and to receive by faith the atonement provided on Good Friday's cross. And then walk in the victory of Easter Sunday's empty tomb. The victory Jesus won when he burst forth from the grave in the garden of salvation. Now maybe this morning, maybe today, you're in the garden of sin. Well, we can just try not to think about it. Or we can run from God. We can avoid church and scripture and all of our Christian friends. That's, that's one approach, I suppose. Or we can turn and face it today. We can deal with it right here and right now. And that's why Christianity is unique. Christianity makes provision for our sin. And so we turn to him. We turn to Jesus and we confess our sin. We acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have fallen short. I acknowledge that. I haven't lived your way. I've lived my way. And starting today, I want things to be different. And we begin the process of surrendering to him. I give you my life. I want to live for you. I want to live your way. Or today you may be in the garden of suffering. But it's Easter morning. And you need to know that a day is coming when your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whatever it is you're going through, maybe the worst trial of your life, it may be the worst trial that anybody's ever gone through. But you need to know your sorrow 
will be turned to joy. And that's what Easter morning tells us. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for resurrection morning. Lord, this is what it's all about. This is where new life comes into the picture. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. The devil is defeated. And now because you live, we can live also. Lord, I pray for the one that's, that's lost in their sin. Lord, I pray that today they would lay it all down at the foot of the cross. Thank you, Lord, that, that you made provision for our sin. There is atonement available in the cross. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we receive that from you by faith today. And we choose to live for you. We give our life to you. We surrender our life to you that you might take it and make of it what you will. And Lord, for those that are in a period of sorrow, they're in a garden of suffering, Lord, I pray that you'd raise them up. Lord, I pray that you would turn their sorrow into joy, that you would restore them, and that you would bring glory and honor to your name as a result. Lord, raise up another testimony. Raise up another story of healing. Raise up another story of a changed life. Raise up another story of an answered prayer where we can say, God did it again. Have your way in us this Easter morning and we give you thanks in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.